Good morning. Welcome again to Morning Devotions. I'm Pastor Slamarall, the pastor of the Cathedral of Praise. And thank you for the privilege of being in your home this morning. It was so, it's a beautiful sunrise today. Did you see the sunrise? You gotta, you gotta forgive me. I love watching the sunrise every day. It's just one of the things in my life to read my Bible and watch the sunrise. And it was a beautiful, spectacular sunrise this morning. Clouds turning red off in the side. And every morning as the sun rises, I remember the mercies of God are new every morning. That's why God never runs out of mercy. His mercy is brand new every morning. Oh, brothers and sisters, we have a wonderful God, a wonderful, 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 wonderful God that loves us. What a, what a privilege to be his child. What a privilege that we have to serve him. All right, we're going to go into Psalms 91 today with one of our kids from Kids Church, and they want to remind us of this beautiful foundational passage of Scripture. Psalms 91. The person who rests in the shadow of the Most High God will be kept safe by the Mighty One. I will say about the Lord, He is my place of safety. He is like a fort to me. He is my God, I trust in Him. He will certainly save you from hidden traps and from deadly sickness. He will cover you with His wings. Under the feathers of His wings, you will find His safe. He is faithful. He will keep you safe like a shield or a tower. You won't have to be afraid of the terrors that come during the night. You won't have to fear the arrows that come at you during the day. You won't have to be afraid of the sickness that attacks in the darkness. You won't have to be fear the plague that destroys the doom. Thousands may fall dead to the side. The thousand may fall near at your right hand, but no harm will come to you. You will see in your own eyes how God punishes simple people. The Lord is the one who keeps you safe. So let the Most High God be like a home to you, that no harm will come to you. No terrible plague will come near in your tent. The Lord will command His angels to take good care of you. They will lift up in their hands that you won't trip over a stone. You will walk all over lions and cobras. You will crush mighty lions and poisonous snakes. The Lord says, I will save who loves me. I will keep him safe because he trusts in me. He will call out to me and I will answer him. I will be with him in times of trouble. I will save him and honor him. I will give him a long and full life. I will save him. One of our members was texting me yesterday, Pastor Summerall, the hospitals are full. What will happen if I get sick with COVID? And I messaged them back and I said, the promise of God in Psalms 91 was, it shall not come near your dwelling place. You don't have to worry about what happens if you get sick. God's promise, it shall not come near your dwelling place. Father, we come to you today in Jesus' name. Fear is beginning to rise up within our city again. Fear is beginning to rise up all across our beloved nation again. Father, I ask in Jesus' name, let there be just such a settled rest of faith. A settled rest of faith, Father, in Jesus' name, in the hearts of every person, in every, every one of our seniors, Father. Lord, let them not be afraid of the future. Let them not be worried. With all of those that grew up with lung problems, Lord, let there be no fear within their hearts in the name of Jesus. With those with kidney and heart problems, Father, every, every time they turn on a TV set, every time they open their internet, all they see is words of fear. Father, as they sit down with your word today, let just faith flow. Your word says that faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word. Lord, as we read the word to people today, let faith just flow within their hearts. 
Let all this fear and uncertainty be broken off of their lives. And Lord, we ask as we draw close to you, you will draw nigh to us. Oh, Father, let your presence come into every home this morning. Let your presence come into every office this morning. Father, in the name of Jesus, just let your presence come. Oh, Jesus, walk among your people. Let your presence be more real to them than the air that they breathe. Lord Jesus, we're so grateful that you're not just a doctrine to believe in. You're alive. You rose again and you're alive and you're with us. Lord, I ask in Jesus' name, let that presence be very strong in the lives of your people today. In your mercy, Lord, and in your grace. We pray for the frontliners today. Lord, on every type of frontliner, Lord, every single one of them, Lord, in the name of Jesus, I thank you that the angels have been given charge concerning them to guard them, not just to sit back and watch them, not to stand there doing nothing, but your angels, Lord, those ministering spirits given unto those people of salvation. Lord, let those ministering spirits stand guard over the lives of your sons and daughters today. Oh, I thank you for the angels that guard us today. Oh, on every jeepney, on every bus, on the LRT and the MRT as we walk through the crowds, I thank you that the angels have been given charge to guard us. Oh, we thank you for those guardian angels, Lord, in Jesus' name, to protect us from this deadly pestilence. Father, I ask for prosperity to flow. Father, let prosperity flow. Let not this be a time of want. Let this be a time where you show your distinction, Father, where you show those who live right and those who are righteous, and you show them, Father. You reveal it by the blessings and blessings and blessings and blessings upon their lives. Bless the work of their hands, Lord. Bless every business from just making lumpia and selling it, Lord, to the biggest business among us. Let your hand of blessing be upon your sons and your daughters, that people may see your hand, that people may see the reality of God in those that serve him. Lord, for the tithers, you said that you would bless us and open the windows of heaven until there's no more room for blessing. You didn't say not in bad times. You didn't give any exceptions to the time. Let this be a time, Father, when the tithers see the faithfulness of God. Lord, your word said that you would show yourself faithful to those that are faithful. Oh, Father, for every faithful tither, let them see God's provision flow. Lord, in ways that they can't even begin to understand. In ways, Lord, that will even surprise them. Father, they think, some of them, that they've got it all figured out. But surprise them, Lord. Surprise them with your incredible faithfulness. And then smile as we just wonder in your glory. Father, we thank you for it. Lord, for those that need healing in their bodies this morning, let miracles flow right now. Not just recovery, Lord. We thank you for the recovery. But Father, for miracles, instantaneous healings right now. Father, it's so frustrating. I I can't lay my hands on anybody. But Lord Jesus, you can lay your hands on everybody. There's no distance in prayer. Oh, Lord Jesus, just like you said, go your way and your child is healed. 
Lord, as they just go their way this day, let a miracle happen in their bodies. Not even in a way that they recognize that it happened until all of a sudden they realize they don't hurt anymore, that there's no pain anymore, that it's just gone. Let a miracle of healing flow. Let kidneys begin to function again, Lord. Let those let them begin to urinate again like they wanted to, Lord. I know it sounds like an awful thing to pray, but that's what they want. They want those toxins out of their body. They want things to function as you created them. You are Jehovah Rapha, the God that restores to original condition. Father, in Jesus' name, let those kidneys live again. Let those kidneys live again in a way that no one will understand how. But let those kidneys live again. Father, for those that have had heart issues in the past, you are the strength of their heart. Lord, let healing flow. They say that heart muscle can never come back alive again, but Lord, you're Jehovah Rapha. We stand in faith. Let heart muscle live again in Jesus' name. Father, we are so grateful for those that have been struggling with cancer, Lord. They can't even get into the hospitals to get their treatment. Let this be a time of miracles, Lord. Let this not be a time of death. Let this be a time of miracles. Let those cancers die at their root. Just like Jesus, you robbed the fig tree of its life and it died from its roots up. Lord Jesus, rob these cancers of life that they die from their very roots in Jesus' name. We thank you for it. We thank you for it, Father, in Jesus' name. And Father, we pray for the young people today. They have so much energy. and They're so frustrated. Lord, they can't go out of their house. We're always praying for the seniors. But Lord, those young people, Lord, they miss their friends. They miss church. They miss so much. Father, I ask in Jesus' name that you give them creative things to do. Lord, that this will be a productive time in each of their lives. That, Lord, this will be a time when the, a time when you speak to them. Oh, Father, let this be a time that you speak. Lord, as they read their Bibles and as they pray, let this be a time that their hearts are warmed within them, that their hearts burn within them from the presence of God walking beside them, like those two men on the road to Emmaus. Let this be a time, Lord, when young people are changed, when lives are refocused and redirected. Father, speak. Lord, speak and give them ears to listen, Father. Give them ears to listen, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's open up our hearts now and spend some time in worship.
Amen. Well, in just a moment, we're going to have a beautiful testimony, but I want to talk to you about a couple of things first. First of all, the Friday night service. Now, I'd hope to make announcements to you that we were going to be back at 50% capacity beginning today or tomorrow, but um, there's no announcements made. And, uh, I did hear a little bit about something called a hybrid general quarantine. I'm not quite sure what that means. Uh, so we're still waiting for what's going to happen. Uh, so we shall see. At this point, we're still looking at 10% capacity. So we're still looking at a Friday night service, a Saturday morning drive-in service at South, Saturday night then in all campuses, and then Sunday morning, 7.30, 10, 12.30, and 3 in all of our campuses. Now, that said, Friday night, I want to talk to you, and I'd really like you to be there, but again, we can only have, you know, 10% capacity, so please, all of you, if you're going to be in a service, please contact your district pastor and get, get yourself set aside uh, a guaranteed seat because we can't have overflow, okay? And you have to wear a mask, and we've got to do all the protocols. Um, Saturday morning in the drive-in service, we will be allowed allowing people to get out of their cars and go to the CR, though only two people at a time, especially for the seniors area. Uh, we'll have seniors on one side and we'll have everybody else on the other side because we have two sets of CRs down there. So we're, we're beginning to make some progress in opening things up. But what I want to talk to you about is Friday night service. Friday night service is going to be a great time of prayer. Prayer for the nation. I am so concerned in my spirit about what this is doing to the economy and the prosperity of our nation. Now, God's word is clear. We should seek the prosperity of the city in which we dwell, because as it prospers, so we too shall prosper. So we're going to seek the prosperity. We're going to pray for God to break this thing off of our nation. And I want us to pray for all of the businesses of our church members and all of the, the jobs of our church members. We've been praying about this every day, I know, but I want us to have a good corporate prayer meeting. It'll only be a one-hour service because we don't want anybody to mess up their curfews and everybody's got to be home by, you know, 10 o'clock. Uh, so, you know, we'll run the service from 7 to 8 o'clock, which is really hard for us, these these one-hour services, I, I, yeah, I mean, I'm preaching a sub-point of a point, okay? <laughs> I mean, my, what, one sermon that I would have normally preached to you in one Sunday now becomes like four or five Sundays. It's getting worse, and then all during the week I go back and rewrite it and add more to it, and it gets even longer. So I'm, I'm, having, I'm having fun going through some changes, I will admit, but it'll be a one-hour service. The focus will be on prayer, just very little music, very little worship. The focus will be on coming together and praying together in Jesus' name. For we just need a move of God. Now, there's another thing I want to talk to you about today. We, we can't do crusades right now. And I feel like a caged lion. I, I can't get out and do what's in my heart to do. And more and more over the last few months, I've been praying about, well, let's go open some churches. I haven't said anything to anybody. Just say, God, if, if, if you've got the door open, then... And show me that the door is open. Well, I will tell you yesterday, two people very unexpectedly came to me and said, we want to help you plant churches. T two people. I mean, one from another country and, and one from here. They, they want to help us start churches. And I'm going, wow. Okay, God, it's time to go ahead and start. Even in the midst of this coronavirus, we're going to go ahead and open churches. Now, let me talk to all of you. I think we're going to scale things down. We're going to build what we call starter churches to begin. So, for instance, if your family has 
a 300 to 500 square meter lot in one of the provinces close by. We're not, we're not going to do the far-flung areas right away, uh, but we're going to start close by. We're going to start in, in southern Tagalog and going, going down through San Pedro and, and that area and going across through Cavite, and we're going to go up through central Luzon. But we want to start close by. It's easy to supervise because we'll be putting younger pastors out here in these, and we're going to need some supervision and some training and things like that. But uh, if you've got, if your family would like to donate three to a 500 square meter lot, good public transportation, it needs to be near people. I mean, we're not building churches for Carabao, okay? Uh, near people, preferably close to one of the cities or something. And you'd, you'd like us to put a church there. We'll go in and build a building and, and um, put a pastor there and start a cathedral of praise there. So if you'd like to do that, why don't you pop me a message or pop me an email? You know how to reach me. Uh, or talk to your district pastor and tell them to have us call you. And we'll have somebody call you and talk with you. And, and let's get going. Let's go ahead and start. Like, wouldn't it be nice? Wouldn't it be nice by the end of the year to open 15 or 20 churches? 15 or 20 of these little starter churches? I think that would be great, great fun. Okay, we've got a testimony for you now. Good morning. It's 5.45 a.m. Philippine time. And I'm eagerly preparing to join the daily Bible devotion of Pastor David Samaral of the Cathedral of Praise. If there's one thing I thank God for this COVID-19 pandemic lockdown is the discipline and the stamina of waking up early every morning from Monday to Sunday since March 24 for this devotion. My hunger for His Word strengthens me and His faithfulness that is new every morning gives me hope. Hey, man. Um, we're going old school today. We're going to do it just reading to you. Now, some of you really like it when I do it this way because you just like to lean back and close your eyes and listen. Others of you like it because you like to read in your Bible and, and underline things as you go. Others, you like watching the words up there. So forgive me. We're going to do it back and forth from time to time, all right, so that we like everybody to enjoy. And after all, the focus is on the word not on the methodology. Let's start with chapter 27, verse 27 today. Paul is in the middle of this great storm. When the 14th night had come, as we were being driven across the Adriatic Sea, about midnight, the sailors suspected that they were nearing land. Now, why would a sailor suspect that they're nearing land? Sailors have been these routes for long periods of time. They know the feelings of weather. They, they know the feelings of, of the water. So th these experienced sailors suspected. So they took a sounding and found 20 fathoms. Now that means they let a rock down on a stone that had knots tied in it so they could see how deep the water was. So they took a sounding and found about 20 fathoms. A little further on, they took a sounding again and found 15 fathoms. Yeah, they know they're getting closer to land. And fearing that we might run on the rocks, they let down four anchors from the stern and prayed for day to come. Now, these are special sea anchors that slow a ship down. And as the sailors were seeking to escape from the ship, they lowered the ship's boat into the sea under pretense of laying out anchors from the bow. Now, 
under the pretense. Now, there's several things I want you to see here. First of all, I want you to understand that there are going to be people who do things to camouflage true intentions. These guys were going to try to save themselves. Now, brothers and sisters, as Christians, we are very trusting people. But you have to understand there are people who do things as a pretense. Uh, they're, they're drama kings. They're drama queens. They, they put on a show to, to divert attention from what they're really doing. It's, it's you know, bait and switch is what they call it in marketing. Uh, what, whatever you want to call it, it's, it's a pretense. And you and I have to learn to see through the pretenses. Now, those soldiers evidently did because they said, hey, we've already got four anchors from the stern. Now you want to lay down anchors from the bow? We got, we got four anchors out already. And so they're recognizing, you know, why are all of the sailors, why are all of the men who know how to run this ship getting into this boat just to lay down some anchors? They didn't do that on the other ones. So you, you have to... You have to look at things and go, okay, why is everybody doing that? It doesn't take, they didn't need everybody to do it before. So learn to ask questions. The, the way that you see through pretense is to look across history and see how things have been done before and why is it so different now? So first of all, look at the pretense. But now notice, Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, Unless these men stay in the ship, you cannot be saved. Now, God had made a promise that the ship would be lost, but everybody would be saved, all lives. And Paul said, now, that's not going to happen if these men leave. Now, here's an incredible principle that you've got to get a hold of. The promise required some skills to be present. Let me say that again. The promise required some skills to be present. And we'll see what those skills are in a few minutes. Just because God promises something doesn't mean it's going to happen. There are people that God makes a promise to, and it's a group of people. But then one of them that is necessary to see that promise fulfilled departs, and the promise doesn't happen. So sometimes, you know, you got to act like these soldiers, and the soldiers then cut, then the soldiers cut away the ropes of the ship's boat and let it go. Basically, the soldiers said, no, you can't escape. We're all in this together. We live together, we die together, but you're not leaving. So the soldiers were very, very clever. The soldiers have said, we, we take away the way of escape. As the day was about to dawn, Paul urged them all to take some food. Now notice, not, not just the sailors and not just the soldiers, everybody. There, there's 276 people on this boat, okay? He encouraged them all to take some food, saying, Today is the 14th day that you have continued in suspense and without food, having taken nothing. Therefore, I urge you to take some food, for it will give you strength, for not a hair is to perish from the head of any of you. So he encourages them that they're going to live and said, no, but you're going to need your strength. Now, again, Paul was not a super spiritual guy. He was a practical man, very much full of the Holy Ghost, but a practical man. He said, listen, God has promised that you're going to live, but you know what? You're going to need your strength. So eat. And sometimes when you talk very practically to people, yes, God will keep his promise, but you know what? Like, forget, forgive me, they're going to have to swim to shore, okay? That's going to be the thing they need to do. Every one of them is going to need to swim to shore. And if they have no strength because they've not eaten in two weeks, then they're going to drown. So Paul was a practical man, for it will give you strength, for not a hair is to perish from the head of any of you. 
And when he said these things, he took bread and giving thanks to thanks to God in the presence of all, he broke it and began to eat. I like that. Paul was not ashamed of his walk with God. He wasn't ashamed to tell people, God sent an angel to stand beside me tonight. He wasn't ashamed to tell people, this is the promise of God. And he wasn't ashamed to pray in front of people. Now, as a family, whenever we eat in public, and that's not very often these days, we all have to admit, with the restaurants closed and everything, but when, wherever we are, we should never be ashamed to pray in public. Paul, in the presence of them all, gave thanks to God. Verse 36, then they were all encouraged and ate some food themselves. We were in all 276 persons in the ship. And when they had eaten enough, they lightened the ship, throwing out the wheat into the sea. Now notice, to this point, they'd thrown away other cargo. They'd thrown out the, the tackle. They'd thrown out everything to lighten the ship. But they hung onto the wheat because that was the paid cargo. Remember, this was a ship from Alexandria. It was bringing grain to feed Rome. It was a supply ship for the city of Rome. It was bringing wheat from Egypt to Rome to feed people. So they got rid of the paid cargo last because, forgive me, this is a business ship. Now when it was day, they did not recognize the land, but they noticed a bay with a beach on which they planned if possible to run the ship ashore. Now we see why these sailors and their skill were needed. So they cast off the anchors. Sailors don't know how to do that. The prisoners who are there don't know how to do that. And let them and left them in the sea. At the same time, loosening the ropes that tied the rudders. So, all right, they start steering the ship again. Then hoisting the foresail. Nobody knows how to do that but the sailors. Hoisting the foresail to the wind, they made for the beach. All right. So they got control of the ship again. They cut the sea anchors loose. They got the rudder loose. They got a foresail up. And they started actually piloting this ship again. Now, if they had not done that, this ship would have been smashed against the rocks and everybody died. So understand, the skill was necessary for the promise. Let me say that again. The skill was necessary for the promise. Let me say that again. The skill was necessary for the promise. Let me say that again. The skill was necessary for the promise. If these guys had escaped with their own lives, everybody would have died that day, including Paul. Everybody say the skill. Okay. The skill was necessary for the promise. But striking the reef, they ran the vessel aground. Now, that's a lot harder to do than you think. Okay. It has to be done properly. The ship has to come in straight. You can't let the ship tur get turned sideways and then flip over and everybody dies. Okay. You get, this, is, this has to be done properly. The bow struck and remained unmovable. Okay. So now we're locked in position. People can get overboard and swim to shore. And the stern was being broken up by the surf. So, all right, so the ship has gone straight in. That took skill. The soldier's plan was to kill the prisoners, lest any should swim away and escape. But the centurion, wishing to save Paul, kept them from carrying out their plan. He ordered those who could swim to jump overboard first and make for the land, and the rest on planks or on pieces of the ship. And so it was that all were brought safely to land. That was the promise. Not one person's going to die. And that was the fulfillment. Not one person died. But again, notice, the skill had to be necessary and somebody had to control those soldiers. 
So the centurion controlled the soldiers. Decisions and skill are necessary to see the fulfillment of the plans of God. Now, you just need to wrap your brain around that. God will make a promise, but people can screw it up with bad decisions like these soldiers were about to, and people can screw it up by selfishness, putting themselves first. Ah, so people can screw up a promise of God by selfishness and by bad decisions. In order to see a promise fulfilled, you need the people to remain with the skills necessary and you need good decisions. You need to get the selfishness out and you need good decisions. Ah, now you need to just meditate on that one today and some of you are going to understand why did God's promise not come? Well, I just showed some of you the reasons why. Chapter 28, verse 1. And after we were brought safely through, we then learned that the island was called Malta. The native people showed us unusual kindness, for they kindled a fire and welcomed us all. Now, notice the us, okay? How often have you seen the us lately? In other words, Luke, who writes the book of Acts, was there also. Luke was on this boat, okay? So when you see the us, always remember that Luke was there. The native people showed us unusual kindness, for they kindled a fire and welcomed us all, because it had begun because it had begun to rain and was cold. When Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and put them on the fire, now notice, Paul wasn't sitting back letting everybody serve him. <laughs> Sometimes I'd like to get this into young preachers. Paul wasn't sitting back going, well, I got Luke here with me, and I, I got my, my, my friend from Thessalonica with me, and they just take care of me. I'm a little older now, so I'm just going to sit here on the rock and warm myself, and they're going to take care of everything. Uh, Paul was also out gathering sticks. Now, again, if you're a leader, when you ever get too good to do some work with your own hands, you got a problem. When Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and put them on the fire, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened it on his hand. Now, a viper is kind of like a cobra, only smaller. They're about this long and extremely, extremely, extremely deadly, probably more deadly than a Philippine king cobra. Fastened itself on his hand. When the native people saw the creature hanging from the hand, they said to one another, no doubt this man is a murderer. Though he has escaped from the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. Now, isn't that interesting? Um, people allow a circumstance to make them judge a man. <laughs> this is the guy that just saved everybody on board. This is the guy that encouraged everybody on board. This is a guy whose faith in God brought physical salvation to everybody on board. But these people, because they see a snake bite him, they think there's something wrong with him. <laughs> oh, how like human nature. Okay, how like human nature. Oh, he must be a very evil man, for justice has not allowed him to live. See, sometimes when you see bad things happen to good people, you make very, very wrong presuppositions. And I'll just leave that one alone. Let me know. Let me say it again. When you see bad things happen to really good people, you make really bad suppositions. He, however, shook off the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. You know what? Bad things happen to good people, but they shake them off and move on with no harm. They were waiting for him to swell up or suddenly fall down dead. 
But when they waited a long time and saw no misfortune come to him, they changed their minds and said, <laughs> said he was a god. Amazing. People's entire concepts and attitudes determined by circumstances and experience rather than reality. Amazing. Now, in the neighborhood of that place were lands belonging to the chief man of the island named Publius, who received us and entertained us hospitably for three days. It happened that the father of Publius lay sick with fever and dysentery. Now, fever and dysentery, you can call that LBM on steroids. All right, so he's got LBM and a fever. Paul visited him and prayed, and putting his hands on him, healed him. And when this had taken place, the rest of the people on the island who had diseases came, also came and were cured. So Paul, next thing you know, Paul's having a healing crusade. He's shipwrecked and he's having a healing crusade. The prisoner is the prophet. <laughs> I love it. I mean, you've got these centurions and you've got these powerful men on this ship. And the people everybody wants to come and see is the prisoner who's a prophet. I love it. A healing crusade gets started. I think God has a wonderful sense of humor. It's a prisoner who's a prophet. Oh, I love it. And when this had taken place, the rest of the people on the island who had diseases also came and were cured. They also honored us greatly. And when we were about to sail, they put on board whatever they needed. They, they resupplied everything that was necessary. Brothers and sisters, you, you look at the life of the Apostle Paul and you go... Man, what an amazing life, okay? What an amazing life. People instantly think I'm a despicable man because a snake bites me. Eh. But then when I don't die, they think I'm a god. Eh. But then all of a sudden, the whole island comes for me to pray for them so that they can receive healing. You know what? Paul had the most interesting, fascinating life. God was with him, and God is with you. All right, let's open up our hearts for some more time in worship. Tell the world 
the difference you have made. You have changed the way I live and love and make my life brand new. Now that we are joined together, I know I'm nothing without you. Now that I know the truth that you proclaim, ooh, I will keep trusting you to fill me up, to only you remain, and I will not rest until my every word brings glory to your name. All that I am, all that I do. I live for you. Now, I warn you in advance, I might go just a couple of minutes long today because there is some amazing stuff in here today. Second Chronicles chapter 14. Abijah slept with his fathers and they buried him in the city of David. And his son Asa reigned in his place. In his days, the land had rest for 10 years. And Asa did what was good and right in the eyes of the Lord, his God. So notice, it's not just God, it's his God. Asa is a man who had a relationship with God. He took away the foreign altars and the high places and broke down the pillars and cut down the asherim and commanded Judah to seek the Lord, the God of their fathers, and to keep the law and the commandments. So he, he looked around at everybody and said, you know what? My role as king is to command you to seek God and to command you to obey his word. <laughs> now that is an awesome king. I wish pastors would get a hold of that same spirit. He also took out of all the cities of Judah. Now remember, this is the, the two tribes. He took out of the cities of Judah the high places and the incense altars, and the kingdom had rest under him. So you get rid of all the demon idols, and, and everybody has rest. He built fortified cities for Judah, for the lad had rest. Now notice, he could build because of rest. Okay? The, the, the fruit of rest is the ability to build. When you have rest, you can build. You, you can't fight battles and build things at the same time. You just got to get a hold of that. And he said to Judah, let us build these cities and surround them with walls and towers, gates and bars. The land is still ours because we have sought the Lord our God. We have sought him and he has given us peace on every side. So they built and prospered. Again, you grow and you build and you prosper in times of peace. And Asa had an army of 300,000 from Judah, armed with large shields and spears, and 280,000 men from Benjamin that carried shields and drew bows. All of these were mighty men of valor. Zerah, the Ethiopian, came out against them with an army of a million men and 300 chariots and came as far as Marisa. Now, Excuse me, can you imagine a million-man army attacking at one time? And Asa went out to meet him. Now remember, he's only got 580,000 men, so he's, he's outnumbered two to one. 
And Asa went out to meet him, and they drew up their, battle, their lines of battle in the valley of Zephath at Maressa. And Asa cried out to the Lord his God, O Lord, there is none like you to help between the mighty and the weak. Help us, O Lord our God, for we rely on you. Oh, oh, beloved, if you could just get a hold of that. We rely on you. You don't rely on the banks. You don't rely on relatives. You don't rely on friends. For we rely on you. You're going to see how important this is later. And in your name we have come against this multitude. O Lord, you are our God. Let not man prevail against us. So the Lord defeated the Ethiopians before Asa and before Judah, and the Ethiopians fled. And Asa and the people who were with him pursued them as far as Gerar, and the Ethiopians fell and fell until none remained alive, for they were broken before the Lord and his army. A million men died. The men of Judah carried away very much spoil, and they attacked all the cities around Gerar, for the fear of the Lord was upon them. They plundered all the cities, for there was much plunder in them. And they struck down the tents of those who had livestock and carried away sheep in abundance and camels. Then they returned to Jerusalem. <laughs> the Spirit of the Lord came upon Azariah, the son of Odeb, and he went out to meet Asa and said to him, Hear me, Asa, and all Judah and Benjamin. The Lord is with you while you are with him. If you seek him, he will be found by you. Now just park the bus. The Lord is with you while you are with him. God doesn't follow you around. You follow God around. Brothers and sisters, every morning of your life, you, you should get up and seek the Lord. The Lord is with you when you are with him. Now, now go on. If you seek him, he will be found by you. I, I write in the column of my Bible the great promise of his presence. But if you forsake him, he will forsake you. For a long time, Israel was without the true God. They had some bad kings. And without a teaching priest and without the law, this was one of these seasons that there was a famine for the word. There was nobody standing up and really teaching the people. It was all, it was all a bunch of dribble. It was all a bunch of religious dribble. It was sloganized Judaism, okay? It was, it was Facebook Judaism. They were without a teaching priest and without the law. But in their distress... They turned to the Lord, the God of Israel, and sought him, and he was found by them. In those days there was no peace to him who went out or to him who came in, for great disturbances afflicted all the inhabitants of the lands. They were broken in pieces. Nation was crushed by nation and city by city, for God troubled them with every sort of distress. But you take courage. Do not let your hands be weak, for your work shall be rewarded. As soon as Asa heard these words, immediate obedience, as soon as Asa heard these words, okay? As soon. Now remember, Israel is the ten tribes, Judah is the two. As soon as Asa heard these words, the prophecy that Azariah, the son of Obed, he took courage and put away the detestable idols from all the land of Judah and Benjamin. He said, listen, man, I'm going to get to work again. I've done this once. I'm going to go back and make sure it's done. And from the cities he had taken in the hill country of Ephraim, he went back and cleaned out the, all the idols from those, those cities. And he repaired the altar of the Lord 
and was that was in front of the vestibule of the house of the Lord. God's altar had fallen into disrepair. The place of offering, the place of sacrifice, the house of God, he repaired it. Now, you can always tell when somebody gets a fresh touch from God in their life. They, they, they're concerned about God's house. <laughs> Whenever somebody gets a fresh touch of God in their life, they're concerned about God's house. And he gathered all of Judah and Benjamin and, and those from Ephraim, Manasseh, and Simeon who were residing with them. For great numbers had deserted to him from Israel when they saw that the Lord his God was with him. I like that. When people saw that God was with King Asa, they left the ten tribes and they came up to the two tribes who were following God. Spiritual people will follow spiritual leadership. Carnal people stay with the crowd. They were gathered at Jerusalem in the third month of the 15th year of the reign of Asa. They sacrificed to the Lord that day from the spoil they had brought, 700 oxen, 7,000 sheep. And they entered into a covenant to seek the Lord, the God of their fathers, with all of their heart and with all of their soul. They entered into a covenant, like a contract. We're going to seek the Lord. But that whoever would not seek the Lord, the God of their fathers, should be put to death, whether young or old, man or woman. They swore an oath to the Lord with a loud voice and with shouting and with trumpets and with horns. And all Judah rejoiced over the oath, for they had sworn it with all their heart and had sought him with their whole desire. I love that. They seek God with their whole desire. Do you remember how I taught you last week that we've got to repair the breaches and strengthen the, the areas of our soul that are, are weakened? Well, and one of those areas is desires and that you don't love money. Okay, here's here's a good desire. They sought him with their whole desire. Oh, I just love that. They sought him with their whole desire. They sought him with their whole, their entire desire. Now, that's part of your soul. That whole part of the soul called desire, their whole desire. They wanted nothing. They had desire for nothing except to seek God. Even Maaka, his mother, King Asa, removed from being queen mother because she had made a detestable image for Ashereth. And Asa cut down her image, crushed it, and burned it in the brook of Kidron. All right, so even in Jerusalem, his own mama had made a demon altar. He cut it down, and he removed her from being queen mother. Wow. See, here was a man who put right before relationships. Hmm. You know, one of the greatest weaknesses we have in the Philippines is we put relationships before right. You often hear me say when friends change, change friends. Most people will never do that. Their friendships are more important to them than right. Asa was a man who put right even before his relationship with his mama. And you know what? It doesn't get any more than a relationship with your mama. But the high places were not taken out of Israel. Nevertheless, the heart of Asa was wholly true all his days. Now, you're going to see a, a conflict of that in just a little bit. And he brought into the house of God the sacred gifts of his father and his own sacred gifts, silver and gold and vessels. And there was no more war until the 35th year of the reign of Asa. Chapter 16, verse 1. In this 36th year of the reign of Asa, Baasha, king of Israel, that's the ten tribes, went up against Judah and built Ramah. 
that he might permit no one to go out or come in to King Asa, king of Judah. In other words, he blocked the way to get to Jerusalem. He built a fortified city to cut off. Okay, so it's like he's destroying the right of way. Okay, here's a man who's taking down the right of way to Jerusalem. Then King Asa took silver and gold from the treasures of the house of the Lord and the king's house and sent them to Benadad, king of Syria, who lived in Damascus, saying, There is a covenant between me and you, as there was between my father and your father. Behold, I am sending to you silver and gold. Go, break your covenant with Baasha, king of Israel, that he may withdraw from me. And Ben-Hadad listened to King Asa and sent the commanders of his armies against the cities of Israel. And they conquered Ejon, Dan, Abed-Meim, and all the stores that is cities of Beptali. That's in that uh, that's in that northern area of Israel uh, where we go up, uh, where well, well, Tel Dan is, where Tel Dan is, and where Caesarea is. That whole area. And when Baasha heard of it, he stopped building Ramah and let his work cease. Then King Asa took all Judah, and they carried away the stones of Ramah and its timbers with which Baasa had been building, and with them he built Jeba and Mitzpah. Now. This was clever um, to a degree, okay? He, he made sure that there's no more materials there to build with. I mean, because you have to understand, they had to carry all those stones to get them there. This was a lot of work. Basically, he was removing their ability to, to build that city. At that time, Hanani, the seer, came to Asa, king of Judah, and said to him, Because you relied on the king of Assyria. Now notice, come back over here to verse... Um, 11 of chapter 14. And next to chapter 14, verse 11, I write down chapter 16, verse 7. And next to chapter 16, verse 7, I write down chapter 14, verse 11. For we rely on you, is chapter 14, verse 11, verse 17, because you relied on the king of Syria and did not rely on the Lord your God. Now, we're going to see this now for the rest of King Asa's life. Something had changed in his trust. And we'll talk about that more in a minute. Because you relied on the king of Assyria and did not rely on the Lord your God, the army of the king of Syria has escaped you. Were not the Ethiopians and the Libyans a huge army with very great many chariots and horsemen? Yet because you relied, circle that word, relied on the Lord, he gave them into your hand. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to give strong support to those whose heart is blameless toward him. Now, he continues, you have done foolishly. You have done foolishly in this. For from now on, you will have wars. Now, why was he going to have wars from now on? Because he relied on man and not on God. Now, brothers and sisters, at some point you've got to understand, you must learn to trust God with your problems. You must learn to pray about your problems and not just bring your problems, you know, ask your family to give you money or borrow money. or You know, we, we look to all kinds of people and we rely on people. But God wants you to rely on him. Oh, beloved, if you could get a hold of this. He does not want you to rely on people. 
He wants you to rely on him. He said, because you relied on the Lord, he gave you victory. Brothers and sisters, you're going to make it through COVID-19. And you're going to end with more than you started. If you rely on him. Now, if you rely on people, I'm sorry. The eyes of God move to and fro throughout the whole earth to give strong support to you. If you rely on him. God is watching you not to zap you with lightning. God is watching you to help you. But you've got to turn your heart to him and rely on. Oh, I feel like I'm really talking to somebody today. You've got to turn your heart to him to rely on him. Then Asa was angry with the seer and put him in stocks in prison, for he was in a rage with him because of this. And Asa inflicted cruelties upon some of the people at the same time. Wow. Asa changed. Asa knew he was wrong. You know, people either, they either get mad or they get glad at the word of the Lord. Okay? You, you can... You can stand there before people as a pastor, as a prophet of God, and teach people what God said. And there are people who will get mad at you. And then they'll start ripping up their families. They'll start yelling at everybody around them. They'll be put on their beautiful dramas. But um, the whole problem is them. Their heart changed. The word didn't change. The prophet of God didn't change. God sure didn't change. But they changed. The Acts of Asa, from first to last, are written in the book of the kings of Judah of Israel. In the 39th year of his reign, Asa was diseased in his feet, and his disease became severe. Yet even in his disease, he did not seek the Lord, but sought help from the physicians. See, his heart had changed. He no longer relied upon God. He no longer relied upon God. So even in, even in his sickness... He turned to the doctors rather than turn to God. And Asa slept with his fathers, dying in the 41st year of his reign. They buried him in a tomb that he had cut out for himself in the city of David. They laid him on a bier that had been filled with various kinds of spices prepared by the perfumer's art, and they made a very great fire in his honor. Now, beloved, this is the story that I've seen so many times. A businessman, as a young man, is just on fire for God and devoted to God. Coming out of college, just, I'm going to serve God and relies upon God and their faithful tithers and their faithful sowers and their faithful prayers and their faithful leaders, and they evangelize and fulfill the Great Commission, and God blesses and prospers them. But one day they look around and they have a problem. And a switch turns in their heart. And they no longer rely upon God. And when they get challenged over it, they get mad at the prophets. And in the end of their life, they still don't rely on God. If I'm talking to you this morning, may I please beg of you, may I beg of you in Jesus' name, don't get mad at the word. Don't get mad at the truth of God's word. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. He will lift you up. Get your heart back to relying on him. Not just serving him. Please forgive me. Not just serving him. Relying on him. All right, we'll see you tonight, 7 o'clock.